it's time for a more in-depth look at today's news. It's time to find out who's pulling the strings. It's time for the Behind the Curtain podcast with your host, author Jeff Reynolds. Hi, I'm author Jeff Reynolds, and this is episode 17 of the Behind the Curtain podcast. The theme of this week's episode is the infiltration of the cult of the left into societal institutions. My guests this week talk about the consequences of not declaring fealty to social Marxism, standing up to the power of unelected bureaucracies, the devastation of the effects of cultural and governmental dictatorships, and the power of the people to fight back against all odds. My national guest for this episode is Karen Siegmund, who committed the horrible sin of praising Western culture. For this, the private school at which she taught math refused to renew her contract. This is not mere conjecture. This is what she was told. This is something that probably wouldn't even have happened five years ago and demonstrates how far down the woke rabbit hole we've gone. We discuss how this wasn't even a political difference of opinion. She merely sings the praises of Western culture and how the entire globe prospers and benefits from our achievements. After a 20-year career contracting for the U.S. Navy helping to track Soviet submarines during the Cold War, Karen earned a master's and a Ph.D. and embarked on a teaching career that found her teaching at the private school she attended as as a child. Karen serves as the chairman of the board of directors for the American Freedom Alliance, which has absurdly been listed on the hate list of the Southern Poverty Law Center. You can find the AFA online at www.americanfreedomalliance.org or on Twitter at AF Alliance. This week, I was also honored to be joined by two local guests to discuss the medical freedom movement in Oregon. I was joined by Amber Sims, an activist and mother involved in the fight against mandatory vaccinations for children in Oregon, along with a repeat guest, states Senator Dennis Linthicum. We discussed the massive movement that grew overnight over House Bill 3063, which would have greatly expanded the authority of the state to demand vaccinations for children before they could attend school and would have severely curtailed a parent's right to object. The medical freedom movement led thousands of regular citizens, mostly moms, to get involved in Oregon's political scene for the first time, and they promised not to go away anytime soon. This is another in my series of episodes and articles covering the winds of political change in Oregon. Between the Second Amendment supporters, Slavic vote, medical freedom, timber unity, and the two walkouts by Oregon Republican senators to deny quorum and stop the march of tyranny by the supermajority in its tracks, it's become clear that something big is happening that could very well permanently change Oregon for the better. Don't forget to subscribe to the Behind the Curtain podcast wherever you listen to it, and please leave a positive rating. The more subscribers and the better ratings, the higher Behind the Curtain will rank on podcast services like iTunes and Google Podcasts, among many others. Stick around to the very end so you can hear a full version of I Am America, the theme song by my buddy Brian Futch. Quick note about my book. I'm humbled to continue to be in demand for speaking gigs, including several throughout the summer. There's a real appetite out there for folks to learn about who's pulling the strings on the left. I'm currently planning an East Coast trip in the fall to speak at my alma mater, Connecticut College, and their college Republican club. If you know of any conservative clubs, Republican groups, Tea Party or 912 clubs, or anyone else who would get something out of following the dark money on the left, please email me at info at 5440fight.com. Search for Behind the Curtain, Inside the Network of Progressive Billionaires, and their campaign to undermine democracy in stores or online at Amazon, Barnes & Noble, or Simon & Schuster. It's available in hardback, Kindle, or Nook now. Check out whoownsthedems.com for more information.
Okay, welcome back into the Behind the Curtain podcast with Jeff Reynolds. I'm your host, and uh, my guest today is a friend of mine uh, who's been on the forefront of a lot of different uh, movements in the conservative sphere for quite some time. Her name is Karen Sigmund. Um, did I pronounce that right, by the way? Yes, perfect. Outstanding. Okay. <laughs> it was a complete guess, but I, th- I think I nailed it. But anyway... <laughs> <laughs> Karen has been um, a longtime advocate for Western culture and uh, the culture of liberty and freedom and, and American uh, greatness and American uh, exceptionalism. And uh, Karen also is a uh, longtime teacher and uh, had a position with a school. And I'll, I'll let her tell the story of uh, what happened. But first of all, welcome in, Karen. Thanks. Great to be here, Jeff. Yeah, thank you. And um, so, yeah, tell me, uh, you uh, ran into a little bit of trouble this summer, didn't you? <laughs> I did run into a little bit of trouble. Um, I did. I've been a teacher for a long time, but the last four years I was teaching at a school, at the school where I had gone as a child. Oh, so you're and, a mother. Yes, exactly. And so... It had. It's always had a very warm place in my heart. It's an unusual school. It's a French school, so just the whole climate of the school, the culture was really was unique, and it helped make me into the person I am today, with kind of an international outlook and multiple languages, and so on and so forth. A real appreciation for history and appreciation for a rigorous education, which is what I had gotten at the time. In the last four years, I've been able to teach there, and it's been terrific. And, and you're a math teacher, correct? I am. I've taught other things, although not at the lycée. When I first started teaching in uh, 2002, I taught math and Latin and then French and science. And I've also taught freshman writing at the college level. So I've taught a number of things. Oh, wow. But at the Lycée, I taught only math. Okay. So. And, and um, you've, you, you're not some unqualified hack, right? I mean, you've, you've got qualifications. You, uh, as I understand it, you have a PhD, correct? I do. I do have, yeah, I'm not an unqualified hack. My bachelor's was in math some time ago <laughs> we won't and mention how long or almost yeah <laughs> it's been a, this is how long ago it's been for about 20 years i worked in underwater acoustics helping to find soviet subs oh my goodness so yeah so uh, that dates me a little I bit i didn't know that that's really interesting yeah it's it's pretty great it was quite exciting it was a real adventure and it was such important work yeah so i did did that. And then when the Cold War ended, I went and got a master's degree in international relations so that I could help understand how things get to where one needs such strong defense. So I got a degree in international master's in international relations. And then I moved on and got a PhD in education and American culture. And during the course of getting those degrees, I was also teaching. So I was teaching at. And and what's your PhD in? Education and American Culture. It was through a special program at Boston University where it wasn't in any one department. It's, it was for those of us who don't fit into a particular category, and that's clearly uh, me. Yes, uh, I can <laughs> confirm that knowing you. <laughs> <laughs> but, so um so now you've been uh, teaching at this uh, french school in la for four years um 
and you weren't fired necessarily. Your contract was not renewed, but they gave you a specific reason, right? Right. So at the same time, while I've been out here in LA, I've been the president of the American Freedom Alliance, an organization. It's nonprofit. It fights, as you had said in the introduction. I really do what I can to uphold and support Western civilization and all the the great things that come with that, the freedoms, the values, the perspective, the opportunities, the um, potential that we each have for tremendous prosperity and so on. And the American Freedom Alliance is, is exactly part of that. That's exactly what we do. And we fight against specific threats. And one of the things that we do in defense of Western civilization and support of it is we hold conferences. So May 5th, we held a conference on the long march through the institutions, which has been the left's revolution by other means. They've come into various institutions, education, churches, banks now even, uh, obviously social media, although that wasn't the plan 100 years ago when they came up with this. Whatever our civic and political institutions were, they they sort of sucked the the intentional guts out of it and replaced it with promoting leftism, socialism, communism, mm-hmm. whatever you want to Cultural call it. Cultural Marxism so and that, that sort of stuff. Education anymore. Right, exactly. So schools aren't for education anymore. They're propagandizing. The media isn't to inform anymore. It's to influence and so on and so forth. So on May 5th, we held a gigantic conference on this. We had 20-something speakers. We opened with David Horowitz and closed with Charlie Kirk and just a whole slew of amazing people in between is an astounding day. And the very next day, I'm not saying there's causation. I'm not saying there's correlation, but the timing sure was weird that the next day I was told my contract for my contract wouldn't be renewed. And the, and you're right. They were very clear about the reason they said my widely publicized views, which means conservatism and in a follow-up email, because I and, and they said there had been numerous complaints and, and that we had spoken a number of times and the complaints have only increased. And I said, well, shucks, you know, I hadn't heard about any complaints. I mean, I literally hadn't. And um, sorry to hear they've increased, but can you let me know the nature of them? I don't need to know who said what, but at least what. And got an email back where um, somebody had shared with her Something I had said in an in our in a welcome address to an AFA meeting that was in praise of Western civilization that it's been a tremendous force for good. We've all we're all its beneficiaries, even those of us who aren't born here. So it's to me kind of you know obvious, and I don't find there's a lot of reason to dispute such a claim. It wasn't pro-America. It was pro-Western civilization, although there should have been nothing wrong with pro-America. But at a French school, they might be a little touchy. But it was Western civilization, of which France is... Now, they've had a longer history part. than we have. And Right, exactly. And they really helped put... I mean, the French culture is is spectacular. Although, again, leftism's goal... left. Yeah, leftism's goal is to destroy theirs as well, and they're doing a fine job of it. So this this quote was brought to the attention of the president of the school with the following comment, that one 
can deduce from my statement about Western civilization that therefore I reject those not Man. of Western civilization. So this is a really weird, twisted, incoherent, illogical way of finding. That's a unbelievable. To I mean, it, you know, it's not even conservative thought, really. I mean, it's just in praise yeah. of the American experiment, right? I mean, yeah, it, it, that's what's so. Of all of France, yeah, uh, uh, of European, European culture Western and American culture, culture and Western. and the things that uh, right. sprung from the Enlightenment, and not not necessarily even just you know jingoism or Trumpism or anything like that. There, there's nothing conservative. There's, it, it's just it's a it's a review of the culture, right? And it's praise of and and it was at an AFA meeting. And, you know, obvious, so, and that's what we do. But somehow, this got turned to where I reject. I mean, even though I said we're all its beneficiaries, even though it's not from here, it was such an obviously not bigoted statement that to turn it into bigotry really requires something that the left is is a master at, which is pretzeling their brains to find a way to denigrate those who don't believe the same thing that they do. And of course, to the left, Western civilization is evil, it's white supremacist, it's, um, it, it's you know, uh, uh, racist, it's all those things that they claim that we are. And so instead of saying, you know, that was kind of interesting. I mean, to me, there were a couple of things that they could have done at this point once they were... <laughs> made aware of this shocking statement of mine. For one, this is a French school. I learned my love of European culture at this school. In a rational world, and this is what I try so hard to wrap my mind around, in a rational world, once they were aware of this, they would have called me in and said, that was awesome. We so agree with you. And the French culture has been a major contributor to the grandness of what you're talking about. This is so right on. We love that you said this. We think you're such an asset to the school. In fact, maybe you even might want to give a talk, right? I mean, think about it. This is a French school, French culture. But obviously, we know that that's completely beyond anything real these days because the left well, is you know, it, it, it really. It, it, it really points out that their goal is to destroy our history and rewrite it in 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 a way that reflects badly on Western culture and and proves their point that Western culture is evil instead of just telling the history and, and right. letting the facts sort themselves right. out. Right, and not only our history but French history. I I found um, in the beginning days of the Yellow Vest riots in Paris. Right. It was it was sort of like the Arab Spring. Really good hearted people come together to to launch a protest about a thing. In that case, it was the oppressive laws relating to the their to, to being green. But it got hijacked, of course, by people who hijacked and were doing being violent in all kinds of ways and who were then destroying French statues, priceless Dec centuries old statues that had lived through the Nazi era, but now were being destroyed through these protests. And it killed me. And 
it didn't seem to me like my fellow faculty, my fellow French faculty, were particularly upset by it. And again, this is leftism. This is leftism. You destroy your history. You disavow your history. Anything that's beautiful, perhaps religious, um, you, you really have to turn your back on as you as you move forward with your bizarre new narrative. When Notre Dame was in flames, I was expecting an email from the school as a representative of a French community here in Los Angeles mourning what was happening just with grief of the conflagration. You don't even have to say who did it, what or why, but that Notre Dame was burning was, was an atrocity to me. And somehow that no, nothing came from the school. Just, you know, the love, I carry much more of a love of France than my French school did. I carry much more of a love of Western civilization including French history than my French school did. So it's all. Why do you think that is? It's, I mean, is it, is it, are they actually uh, deliberately trying or participating in the, the whitewash of history or are they simply just not wanting to rock the boat or what's the motivation there? I think for so many people, leftism trumps everything else, anything else. And in pursuit, you know, so, so often you bend yourself over backwards to not offend, right? Um, yeah. It's, it's uh, Jerry Seinfeld's statement that he, they threw around all the time. Not that there's anything wrong with that, right? So <laughs> if you can't say, I think it's an aversion to offending anyone. Mm. And my statement about Western civilization, that that somehow was construed as being evidence of bigotry, that's the left. That's the left. You can't, you can't elevate anything because if you elevate, you're suppressing somebody else. Yeah. That's, that's the fallacy, right? I mean, that's, that's a logical fallacy that they've trotted out for years. Somehow it's taken hold just within the last decade or two. uh, And it never did before, but the, the idea that because you celebrate one culture, you're oppressing another, is uh, right. it doesn't even pass the smell test. It's vi- it's victimhood writ large, and and what it winds up doing it in itself, of course, is oppressive. The the um, silencing of anybody who praises anything is far more oppressive than anything I said. I mean, look, I just lost my job. That's oppression. <laughs> yeah, sure. That's, you know, I, I said nice things about Western civilization. Somehow that's bigotry. And somehow that means I must um, be discriminated against in the workplace and lose my job. So expand on that a little bit. Uh, what, what's your current situation? Uh, are you uh, Are you looking for new positions? Are you finding it difficult to find new positions? <laughs> well, I am looking. I am finding it difficult. I've had a number of people wanting to interview me, and then we've even had lovely interviews. And I just want to say, can we just not waste each other's time? And please Google me, because as soon as you Google me, yeah, you Google you Google me before the interview, right? <laughs> that would be helpful. <laughs> right, right. Can we just not bother with all of this? I've loved meeting some of these people. We have Skype interviews and FaceTime interviews, and it's been, they've 
they're all parts of community school communities that sound enchanting and think I know I could bring a lot of good. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter who I am as a teacher, who I am as a role model, you know, 20 years working, um, doing stuff for the Navy, not as part of the Navy, but as a contractor to the Navy, that's really amazing stuff. And that brings a lot to the classroom. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. It's my political views, my right wing conservative views, which of course includes praise of Western civilization that have to be shut out. Students cannot be exposed to these kinds of anti-leftist narrative ideas. Not only can they not be exposed to that, but this is also key. I was, in my opinion, I, I was a good teacher. I'm a kind-hearted person. I'm compassionate. My students love me. How completely counter to the leftist narrative about right-wing racist Nazi bigots is that? Yeah. No, that's right? that's they're told that's really the problem is that they can't show you in their proper light. Exactly right. And so my students who know I'm conservative because, you know, we talk about stuff, even if, if I don't, I mean, stuff comes up, you know, um, they know that and they know that I'm nice from meeting me on forward when people say, oh, that's just another right wing racist bigot. They're all hateful people who, you know, who are, who are, who are Nazis my students can, they have a data point that says no. Well, and specifically in your case, the the Nazi thing is really kind of offensive, right? Oh, it's unbelievably offensive. It's, it's because your your dad was actually, uh, my, my dad was German and, and just a kid. So that's offensive. My mom's family was Jewish. So it's just offensive. It's, it's offensive to me personally, but it's also oh. when they throw that word around, Nazi is the new mm-hmm. racist, right? When they threw around the word racist, it undervalued, it, it diminished real and racism. And real Nazism you that your, your family experienced. And now real yes. Nazism. Yeah. Exactly. And now real Nazism. And this is, I think that's what, probably pains me the most to have the evil of Nazism diminished by throwing this word around the evil that was Hitler by calling any conservative or Republican politician, Hitler, Bush was Hitler. Now Trump is Hitler, all conservative, all Republican presidents have always been called Hitler. What that does is say when people then hear the word Hitler, they have an image of Trump which is so preposterous. The reality is just so not that. And, and the concentration camp quip from AOC, not quip, comment, accusation, that, and now hashtag stop the camps. This is insane to me. It says now when kids read about concentration camps, they're thinking about people going there on purpose to the border and not having sufficient running water. Right. Yeah, you're, you're talking about uh, people coming to the, the the border of the United States uh, without any resources or any um, uh, skills to bring to the society, and uh, and being right. Yeah. <laughs> it, 
They haven't been ripped right. out of their homes. They haven't been thrown there knowing they were probably going to die. They come here on purpose for better yeah, life. Go, go watch Schindler, exactly. go watch list and tell me how the how that compares to what's going on at the border. Exactly right. If you can if you wind up in a camp here because this is a way station for a better life, don't go telling me this is anything right. like a death camp or or a concentration yeah. camp, a work camp. They're just it's it's outrageous what it does to their perception of history. And that that's not even speaking to the uh, the, the policies of you know what what's going on at the border and whether they need to be improved or not. That's just on its face, comparing one to the other and realizing, oh yeah, this this uh, that doesn't make any sense. You it's know, horrendous. It's horrendous. Yeah. And if we believe, as I believe, I'm sure you believe, and your listeners believe, never again. The way to Absolutely. ensure never again is to keep holding. Um sacred in a, in a way these icons of pure evil and not diminishing them by bringing them down to this mundane le- level never right, again right, and, right? And, and, yeah it, 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 we're we're the country uh you know the united states the west the you know great britain england and and france in particular we were the countries that uh, went to war against the nazi regime to destroy right. it uh, even you know, even before we knew what they were doing to the Jews, it was you know obvious right. that they were uh, power hungry and power mad and and you know gobbling up territory and all of that stuff. So that's the kind of stuff we've we've actually fought in favor of. It was a moral imperative to us, and it still is. And that's what they call evil. Right, right, right. So exactly. So they've turned history on its head. But let's. Yeah, well, we'll leave France's role in the war out of it. Sure. But, <laughs> <laughs> well, it depends on which France you're talking about, right? <laughs> well, right, exactly. <laughs> but um, but right, and and to diminish the evil by calling our law enforcement. Oh, well, okay, law enforcement. It was their law enforcement too. Um, evil is that's evil. I'm sorry, but that's that is pure evil in itself. I agree. And, I agree. I, it, and I cringe. It's deeply right? offensive. The, the 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 comparison is deeply offensive because uh, you're you're conflating a policy disagreement with mass extermination right. and genocide. Right. Right. <laughs> right. Right. Perfectly. Yeah. But mass. Right. <laughs> Right. A a camp that's a way station to a better life versus a camp where you are brought to die. Yeah. You know, it's it's we need a lot more history taught in the school. So, yes, what's next? So, yes, I've interviewed and I probably won't get another teaching job. I'm on the older side anyway. um, So there's that. But I'm also working really hard. I'm not going to mention that part. (laughs) Well, right, right. But at the same time, I am president of the American Freedom Alliance, and I would very much like to build up that organization to where I don't need a day job. Hmm. We do amazing things like that May 5th conference. We have a dinner coming up August 18th. We have another conference coming up October 5th and 6th about the freedom movements that are happening globally. 
we're going to do something on anti-Semitism early next year. We have literary cafes where we bring in authors. We have book clubs. We have movie screenings. We just do amazing things. And I've been doing that part-time because I had my teaching gig. Now I'd like to very much do it full-time. So that's another piece of um, how I'm moving forward. Another part of that, though, is I have outstanding legal representation. Um, Harmeet Dillon is my attorney. And Could you repeat that name that you actually broke up there? Oh, sorry, Harmeet Dillon. Oh, yes. Who is who's the one going after Portland? She's part of the lawsuit against California for shutting um, Trump out of the. Yes, I'm, I'm quite familiar with her. I live in Portland, so uh, <laughs> she's all over oh, the news right, here. Right, right, <laughs> right. She's yes, yeah. exactly. That Andy No situation yeah. was horrendous, and so she's a dynamo, and she's representing me because in the state of California. There is labor code that says you can't discriminate on the basis of political views, speech, activity. Right, and they and they they yeah. messed up by explicitly telling you why they didn't renew your contract. Oh, they still right? did. I know because because as you it was a contract. All they had to do was say thanks so much, loved having you, good luck in all right. your future endeavors. And instead, they, they felt that you, they, they felt didn't. compelled to tell you, "Hey, you're a conservative. We're not bringing you back," which was legally dumb. Right. <laughs> dumb, and but but it is. It's the leftist compulsion to stick it to us. It's the leftist compulsion to. They feel this. Yes. Righteousness. And, and, and so they know they're right? doing the right, right thing in their own mind. So it doesn't even occur to them that they're going right. to face consequences for uh, their moral superiority. Right. Their absolute moral superiority. Exactly right. And I'm sure that there was ample virtue oh, signaling sure. going on in various circles and had to get rid of her because, look, I am an evil influence. If you're on the left. And this was what the whole long march through the institutions conference was about. They have their goals and they are hell bent on achieving them. And, you know, we've been calling it a culture war. Daniel Greenfield spoke, I don't know, two months ago, Daniel Greenfield, he's Shulman journalism fellow at the Horowitz Freedom Center. He spoke on how this is really a war against us on the right and that it's it's a religion. It's a it's right. A they're they, they're trying to impose yeah, right. a secular religion, a cult that replaces. Exactly you know, it's, it's a, right. the cult of the state, right? I mean, you saw that in communist regimes. You saw that everywhere else. That uh, the second they get rid of uh, religious institutions and outlaw personal religion, uh, that's that's the gateway to right. Uh, oppression. The, uh, right, and they're the religion, and that's that's the kind of mental viewpoint that allows them to cast us as evil. As you Mm -hmm. had said before, it's not a policy difference and a culture war is, you know, we like the Dodgers and you like the angels or whatever, (laughs) or high culture, low culture. It's not a religious war is where you can paint the other side as evil. And that's exactly what they have done. We don't. 
because we don't perceive it as a religious war. We might see it as a, a political war. Now, finally, we're starting to see it as a culture war. I, I, think, war. I think we're starting to turn that part around. So what, what do you think, though? Uh, how do you think this plays out? Uh, do you see because I, I kind of feel like, you know, everybody's talked about a new civil war and, and we're more divided than we've ever been since uh, the run up to our first civil war. Um, do you think that this ends in violence or do you think that there's uh, a vast majority of Americans that are, you know, they're not necessarily conservative. They're not necessarily to the right, but they're proud of being an American and, and they don't want to uh, deal with this, uh, these attacks anymore. I, God, you know, let me dust off my crystal ball. <laughs> I, right. I, I don't know, but We've been shocked at things before. I think it's David Horowitz who has said, I can't worry about the future. It's, it always turns out not to be what I expect. Mm-hmm. And, and we've seen game changers come, come along in, in terms of the Internet, which gave us, you know, you and I right. have, have a platform, which we never would have met if it weren't for Facebook and Twitter. Right. We, exactly right. And while they're doing their best to shut people like us out and off of these platforms and people, Oh, Twitter, who needs Twitter? No, it's, it's your voice. It, and they know that. And that's why they, it matters. Yeah. I, and, and then people come along like Brandon Strzok, Straka Strzok, who really are game changers, which is why we're honoring him a year ago with his walk away movement. It's been tremendous. Charlie Kirk has just is doing tremendous work. Candace Owens, who even heard of her a year right. and a half ago? Phenomenal. So people arise and it's not even necessarily that they're going to be followed, but they're punching holes in, in the monolithic narrative that the left has felt that they've had minorities, you know, you've got to vote Democrat because we're the ones who take care of you. Well, Guess what? A lot of holes are being poked in that. Maybe you don't want to be taken care of. Maybe you want to be seen as every bit the potential agent of your own success as anybody else. Don't let them victimize you, belittle you, exploit you. We believe in Martin Luther King's, you know, all, um, let's judge judge people by the content of their right. ca- character, not for any any other reason. So a lot of holes are being punched. I also think that these debates reveal who these people are and it's, and the more we punch back and point out stuff, I think. Well, you know, I, I, I think it's funny because I every time Trump. there's a democratic debate, I think uh, Donald Trump picks up another state in the electoral college. <laughs> I, I know. Well, sadly though, it it's not, it, I remember thinking this during during the last election. The real key is in a in a given state, and in particular in swing states, how much more populous is the are the metropolises mm-hmm. of that state than than the outline than the rest of the state? The cities are always brilliant blue. Sure. Oregon is a very uh, strong example of that. Uh, We have Portland, Salem, Eugene, and then we've got everything else, you know? Uh, Yeah. 
everything sure. else. Even California is really, California is like that. San Diego, Los Angeles, San Francisco, brilliant blue. And the rest mm -hmm. really is red. And if you remember watching the returns in 2016, uh, John King, I think is his name, who, who was, they had all the returns from Wisconsin except yeah. Madison. I, I think I got this right. And he was, you could just tell he was hoping, hoping, <laughs> hoping, hoping that so far Wisconsin was, was totally Trump, but waiting for Madison to come in, that hopefully those numbers would be bigger. And I think we're going to see even more of that polarization. And a lot of it's going to be um, getting out the vote effectiveness for us because we know that they're going to be insane about this in cities. They're not going to let any state go unvisited, right? Nobody's going to make the yeah. same mistake as Hillary did. So I'm worried about 2020 because of how parsed things are. Maybe the whole country loves him, but if enough big cities in important states. Yeah, I just kind of think that, uh, you know, uh, Hillary obviously yeah. made uh, assumptions that she was winning and didn't fight hard enough in the swing states where she needed to. Uh, but right. I also think that the more someone like a, if it's Kamala Harris or Elizabeth Warren or, you know, those types of folks or Pete Buttigieg or, you know, whoever it is, the more they expose themselves to, the the, you know, the flyover states and you know general voters the more the uh, even even now even in this uh, polarized state of affairs I still think that uh, they're just going to kind of uh, demonstrate that they're way outside the mainstream and not really what the average American voter is looking for. Yeah, that that's my hope. Remember that um, Obama did not campaign as a leftist at no, all. No, certainly not at all. He was very rational. He was centrist. He was everything he said Clinton, about the right? border is what exactly right, exactly right. And so I'm not sure that that this race to the left that's happening now among these 21 or however <laughs> many there are is going to serve them well in the final yeah. analysis. So um, I, I just don't. On all that hand raising about giving this to these people and that to those people, they're not going to be able to es escape that. And this is the that's the primary issue of raising to the left. But how do you then campaign against Yeah, them? in the general election. It's yeah. it's really a balancing act right. for them. Because if they go too far to the center, then do they lose their base when uh, election day comes around? Right. Yeah. Right, right. And and most of the people on the left who I know feel themselves to be well, everybody feels themselves. Oh, they always say that, right? Oh, I'm 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 conservative <laughs> on some issues and liberal on the other. No, you're liberal on everything. <laughs> no, you're you're right. 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 But it still is up to us to have those conversations with people. Um, we're never gonna turn California, but but just to have those conversations mm -hmm. Because really, you you want your tax dollars to go to pay people who came here illegally versus, you know, letting your cousin have a job yeah. or whatever. It's it's where the rubber meets the road is. That's where we have to have those con conversations, and all of all of them open borders and Medi Medicare for all, and including illegals, and it's. It's absolutely nuts. The Green New oh, Deal. Oh, that stuff is comical. More of that, please. Uh, we're going to win in the landslide. Right.
Right. Well, ho- hopefully, I I really do worry that there are a lot of people just as stupid as as the ones who created this. Yeah, and, and last thought here, because uh, we've gone over our uh, half-hour slot here, so uh, <laughs> I really appreciate you being here, Karen, but uh, I, I wanted to go back to something you said just a little while ago. Uh, you, you talked about punching holes in the narrative, and you know, uh, Candace Owens and Charlie Kirk and those folks, and uh, the idea that uh, people feel like uh, they don't need to be taken care of, they just need their own personal freedom, and I, that, that really struck me, and, and we're talking about the same stuff. Right, we're talking about Medicare for all and all this stuff, and right. you know they're they're running they're running ads here in Oregon to sign up for the Oregon Health Plan, which is our Medicaid program, right? And they're they're talking about how well if I don't have to worry about my health care, then I'm free to do whatever I want. You know, it, it, it's right. it's that that old um, Ben Franklin quote about. Uh, 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 sacrificing freedom for security, you deserve neither. Uh, right. That's really the basis of, of American society, of Western society. It's it's that enlightenment to be free and to live your own life and not rely on the state to uh, for your security. Right. And we know that their goal is to create increasing dependency. Remember Correct. Julia, the Obama ad about Julia, she was born, <laughs> lived, died. She didn't do, even have a face. <laughs> right. Or or parents or, you know, anything. Yeah. It was all what government could do for her. Mm-hmm. And that is not our perspective. We see it as a step stool if you need it, but no more than that. And, and it should be there. I absolutely believe that government should be should be there as a safety net, but not, and, and, and this, this really plays into pursuit of happiness, frankly, that people I know when they are happiest, when I'm happiness, happiest, isn't when I've gotten stuff for free. It's when I've accomplished something. It's when I can go to bed at night thinking, ah, I got that done. It's when I have a roof over my head that I, that, that I, my accomplishments provided. And I know the same with, I remember my dad was, oh, he was happiest. He was proudest when he provided for his family. Those were, you just look at him and go, oh, this man deserves every happiest happiness because he worked so hard for it. And to Take that away from people to say, look, we'll give you this so that you don't have to do that. It, it's psychic. It's psychically vicious. Yeah, it's, it's, you know, it's like the, the universal basic income idea. It's, it's dehumanizing. It is dehumanizing. And it's infantilizing. And it's victimizing. Right. Instead of the opposite, which is we're going to make make it not difficult for you to undertake starting a business to undertake. And really there's so much great stuff out, out there now to be able to do that between Etsy and Uber. And Oh my goodness, it's astounding Mm -hmm. what all people can do to make a living. But, and, and again, that's when we are, I think as a people happiest is when we're accomplishing, when we're providing, when we're achieving, when we can be proud of a thing that we did. And, and, and when we wake up in the morning with a purpose 
and the left yanks that rug right out from under us, even from a very young age, with this emphasis on self-esteem versus accomplishment. And well, that sounds racist to me. I, <laughs> I know. I'm I kidding. Know, of I know. I know. There's no escape. There's no escape. Right. But right. but yeah, you're absolutely right. No government dependency. Just each each one of us should be the agents of our own success. Absolutely. All right. So, Karen, uh, uh, tell us where we can learn more about your organization and uh, website and yeah. uh, social media and, and uh, where can we go to learn more? Right. Um, find us at AmericanFreedomAlliance.org on Facebook, American Freedom Alliance. Also, the page is more active than the group, but I'm working on that. Twitter, AF Alliance. I'm Karen Sigmund. I'm on um, I'm on Facebook. I'm pretty active on Facebook. So uh, find find out all the great stuff that we're doing. We just do one amazing event after another. And they are informative and empowering. And the community that the community that we build is it's really enriching and I think powerful. And I think we are making a difference. Outstanding. Well, uh, the next time you have a big event, I'm coming. So, uh, wonderful. Good. Thanks so much for having me, Jeff. A real pleasure. Yeah. Thanks, Karen. I really appreciate it. This was a lot of fun, and uh, we'll have to do this again sometime. I'd love that. If you like this podcast, the best way you can support it is by leaving a rating and subscribing. And don't forget to buy my book, Behind the Curtain, Inside the Network of Progressive Billionaires and Their Campaign to Undermine Democracy. Now it's on to the Oregon story of the week with Amber Sims and State Senator Dennis Linthicum to discuss the medical freedom movement in Oregon. Welcome into the Behind the Curtain podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Reynolds, and today I have two guests on. Uh, one is a, a former guest on the show. Uh, we talked earlier about the first Senate walkout by the Republicans in June, uh, State Senator Dennis Linthicum from uh, Klamath Falls. And also on the line today is Amber Sims, who is an activist and leader in the medical freedom movement. Today, what I want to talk about is the uh, the massive pushback against House Bill 3063 in this uh, previous session. Uh, there was a lot of drama in this last session and uh, two Senate Republican walkouts and uh, activists uh, activated. Uh, these, these massive voting blocks uh, have been activated in ways that they've never never gotten involved in politics at all before in the state of Oregon. So there, there's these huge political movements uh, that have been started. And today we're going to talk about the medical freedom movement. So Amber and Senator Lindkem, uh welcome in. Thanks for being here. You bet. Thank you for having us. It's a, it's a good conversation. It's well worth having uh, the public and constituents throughout Oregon and uh, the nation and the world, actually. We see this pressure from the pharma industry to um, embolden legislatures to force people to buy vaccines and inject vaccines into their children, into themselves, um, mainly because it's a great source of revenue. And so we see this empowering. This is the worst part about a political movement when it empowers the state to choose the winners and losers. Unfortunately, the winners are the giant pharmaceutical companies and the losers are mom and dad and their children. 
Yeah, you know, that's a really interesting point because uh, we saw that with the Obamacare uh, rollout too, right? It, uh, so many of the in, uh, big insurance companies uh, signed on to the idea of Obamacare because it was guaranteed revenue, guaranteed a huge new pool of, of uh, patients that they could then get uh, uh, insurance premiums from, right? It, it was a source of revenue. That's exactly right. And Amber is also on the line. Hi, Amber. Say uh, say hello to the audience <laughs> and, and, and chip in here before uh, w- the two of us just run away without you. Oh, goodness. I, but I can't tell you enough, um, Senator Linthicum. It's been such an honor to get to know you and your wife personally um, here in Oregon. Uh, with this fight, you know, and as a California refugee, having fled uh, medical tyranny, um, I I just really am grateful for uh, the legislators who stepped up to say, nope, this is this is a line in the sand. We we cannot let it be crossed. Um, you know, and there's there's so many historical pieces that most of the general public do not know about. And one thing that I think most people should get familiar with is the 1986 National Childhood Vaccine Injury Act and the ramifications that that caused. And, you know, Jeff, we were talking um, at different times that that really changed everything for the manufacturers and particularly for this class of of drugs for vaccines there is zero liability for manufacturers you cannot sue the manufacturer for um, an mmr uh, vaccine injury you have to go into a private court system that was set up under that 1986 law um, but they cannot be sued so it's a common misconception since we we all remember the headlines when uh, merck was sued uh, for for vioxx they hid data that they knew that it was killing people before uh, they released it on the market. They, they had that data and they released it anyways. Well, that was one of the largest class action lawsuits that we've seen in American history against a pharmaceutical company, yet they cannot be sued for their vaccine products. So it's just entirely um, uh, more in-depth than the mainstream media lets on. And I'm just honored and uh, so excited happy to have legislators like Dennis Linthicum, um, you know, out there serving the great state of Oregon on my behalf. Yeah, you know, there's a lot to unpack here because um, there's been a huge political backlash against that House bill that was introduced to try to greatly expand the authority of the Oregon Health Authority to require vaccinations for school-age children uh, or be able to bar them from attending public schools or any school, actually. Uh, it, it didn't even extend to public schools, but every school in uh, in the state. Um, the, so my interest in this is obviously the, the huge ramifications of the political fallout from all of this and all of these, you know, the, the Slavic vote movement. I've been to two of their meetings mm-hmm. now, um, and they have... But, uh, a couple of hundred thousand people across Oregon who have been told by their their elders throughout the years, don't get involved in politics, don't stick your neck out and don't get involved. Now they're being told this directly affects you. This is the stuff we escaped the Soviet Union because of. And you need to get involved. You need to right. vote. You need to uh, 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 talk to your legislators. You need to run for office. You know, so and that's just one block of people. We've got all kinds of other folks from all across the political spectrum that are. Are, uh, that are worried about this issue. You've got liberals, you've got conservatives, you've got everything in between. And uh, this this thing really has turned huge. Why don't you talk a little bit about uh, how huge that got? 
Yeah, well, I think it awoke um, something, you know, very primal in all of us because it's going after our children, right? Um, or grandchildren or nieces and nephews. Um, this really was uh, actually way more... Um, way more draconian than even what was introduced in 2015 in California, the bill we saw in Oregon, it was, it was much worse. So um, collectively, it, you know, people shared both online and offline information about the bill. Um, you know, Oregonians for Medical Freedom is one of several um, grassroots movements that pooled together. Um, and like you said, we, we're all from all backgrounds, uh, politically, socioeconomically, uh, racially, and <clears throat> this this momentum, you know, continued um, until really it was it was off the docket uh, after the first walkout. And um, it took, you know, the Republicans walking out to get them to actually see, I think, the severity of, of how much this bill um, mattered to so many. Um, it just it's a, it's a huge movement. And I, I was interviewed by the Salem reporter about the movement and it's not just about the social media impact. It's not just about, you know, activating people like this. In fact, we were up against huge lobby groups like the Oregon nurses association and the Oregon um, education Associ uh, association, the OEA and ONA. Um, and they were spreading misinformation left and right. In fact, Oregonians for Medical Freedom was able to send a cease and desist letter to ONA because they were going around and, and emailing all their nurses and saying, hey, support this bill. It only requires, um, you know, students to get the measles uh, vaccine in order to attend school. Right? Wow, really? Absolutely. So, yep, I, I'd love to show you the because They were absolutely lying to try to get this bill passed. That's crazy. So yeah, um, that it, it really exploded. And just for a review for our listeners, um, for those that don't remember, the uh, Republicans in the Senate walked out twice, and the first walkout killed a bunch of uh, anti-gun bills and the uh, 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 forced vaccination bill, and the second walkout killed cap and trade. So uh, that was high drama all throughout the entire session. It was crazy. Uh, Senator Linthicum, why don't you uh, talk about the impact that the medical freedom folks had when they descended upon uh, Salem and uh, gave you a piece of their mind? What, what kind of <laughs> effect did that have on you and your colleagues? Well, actually, for all of the Republicans, it was quite beautiful. And, and beautiful is the perfect word. To see these moms, these dads, these children, I mean, this was family-oriented. What, what we heard from those who were advocating for mandatory vaccines is the, the blowback from this simple bill was simply um, bots on the Internet, Russian bots on the Internet and that kind of thing. And then these moms and their children and their families came by. They, they were as kind as uh, daisies in the field. They were just beautiful <laughs> to show up and, and treat everyone with courtesy, whether you were a Republican, a Democrat, an Independent, it didn't matter. Everybody got treated with courtesy. They, they wrote us thank you notes. They brought us cookies. They brought us oranges. They did those things. So they bribed you. The, yes, well, <laughs> I, I kid, I kid. Well, no, that, better than that, what they were showing was they weren't Antifa. They were showing right, they right. weren't throwing bricks and they weren't threatening to burn down the building and they weren't eliciting violence. What they were doing was just 
trying to create an environment for a sincere and genuine discussion about these issues. And that's why it's shameful that we actually had to walk out to stop this, because at some point you cannot ignore mom's and their children and pretend you're doing the right thing from the from the state's perspective when you have moms begging for the freedom to be the sole uh, proprietor if you will the sole owner of their child's health and to not allow the state to put some bureaucrat between the child and the child's physician or between the mother and the child's physician Whenever a state starts interrupting that relationship because they want something done, now you're way out on a thin on thin ice, and and so it was a it was a wonderful experience. And you referred to the Slavic people, uh, the Slavic voters who came through. I had a conversation with one girl. She was in her mid thirties or young thirties or somewhere in there. She had her three kids with her, and I said. And coming from uh, Russia, you probably saw this with your parents and grandparents. And she corrected me. She says, no, it wasn't my grandparents or my parents. It was our own lives in our own country. And it didn't happen to be Russia. But uh, she, she said, we were the ones who stood in line to get our ration of food. And I've experienced it, and the U.S. should not be running down this track. So uh, I, I, I was thrilled to have all those people in the Capitol building. I'd love for them to come and visit um, over and over and over again and influence the hearts and minds of some of these people who want the state to be the new ruler of the individual's life. Yeah, you know, uh, Senator Linthicum, I, I talked to a couple of folks at a meeting last week, uh, a couple of Slavic vote uh, representatives, and they were telling me that uh, they they were dealt with so dismissively by the Democrats, uh, they were told, okay, you're not a registered voter, so I'm not talking to you. So they all went out and got registered and then came back. And then they were referred to as, uh, you know, because of their their uh, Russian Orthodox uh, and old church beliefs, they were referred to as the Russian Rajneeshis. Oh, that's terrible. Isn't that See, awful? That, 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 that's just shameful for them to reach back in time and refer to the Rajneeshis and and try and slam and call them a cult, basically, and and, and call them a cult, and um, and it, it, it's just it, it's unimaginable that they would stoop this low. But nevertheless, here they have, and so it's about time Republicans stepped up and took the uh, power out of their hands. They I agree. Well, yeah. I, as someone who's a former lifelong Democrat who then had a few years of you know, non-affiliated voter and, and now has joined the Republican Party, I think this hypocrisy um, is just so over the top. And, and that's what led um, thousands like myself to, to switch, to step away, to hashtag walk away uh, from the, the, the Democrats. Um, you know, there's just the hypocrisy of believe women, listen to women, you know, with the Me Too movement. But what about the millions of moms across this country who are now, uh, you know, trying to be censored? The fact that countless platforms are calling for censorship over good information 
um, really it's a censorship of, of being able to dialogue. Um, yeah, many talk a little bit about that. Uh, injury. Yeah, you, you, you've documented where uh, several online outlets have uh, censored those, uh, those types of posts. Uh, uh, go into a little bit of detail about that. Absolutely. I mean, I, I, so I'm a professional publicist um, by trade, you know, activism is, is just uh, my, my hobby, because I cannot stand idly by and see rights stripped away like this, um, especially when they absolutely are going to impact my, my family and future generations. Um, but I, you know, I have clients who've had their entire blogs pulled from Medium, the publishing platform, without any notice. And, and their blog articles are cited with nothing but peer-reviewed science, including from the CDC, including from the World Health Organization or NIH, right? Um, I've had multiple clients who, who have had blogs removed or their accounts completely removed. Uh, MailChimp, there's many states who have other state groups, and MailChimp has completely blocked them out of their own MailChimp accounts. And these are email lists that they that they gathered. MailChimp doesn't own these email lists. So um, I know of one group that had to get the, the local sheriff involved um, and threaten theft so they could at least wow. log back in long enough and retrieve their email list. Um, Huffington Post has censored. Google censors. Um, you know, Amazon has pulled um, the documentary Vaxxed, which is not an anti-vaccine documentary. It's about corruption in the CDC. We have a sitting uh, whistleblower status uh, senior CDC scientist at the CDC today who is who should be deposed by Congress. Right. He is one of many scientists who were involved in a study, and he's the only one that literally did not burn 10,000 pages of documents showing that the MMR has serious cause for concern, right? And this is years ago now. We're still waiting for him. Um, I know Congressman Posey out of, out of Florida, I believe, um, has tried to you know, have the rally call to bring attention to this. But that documentary, I would say, is critical. It's no longer available on Prime because of Amazon pulling it. You can still purchase it. Um, but Vimeo, the latest, the latest fall down is Vimeo. Vimeo has said you have X number of weeks to take your content off, including people who earn a living by by having their documentaries on Vimeo. Um, Vimeo is not going to allow this content. Vimeo has been an alternative to YouTube's uh, draconian right? kind of censorship, so that's that's right? really concerning. Yeah, there's there's several outlets. Um, I'm I'm sure I'm missing some. Oh, Pinterest. Pinterest last summer. Um, you know, started deleting boards and uh, pins, uh, questioning, you know, the, the vaccine narrative, according to mainstream media. Um, but, you know, having studied media, I'm grateful because I studied concepts like cognitive dissonance and, and framing. And, and I can see with this particular issue that they're absolutely trying to control the narrative. And we should all be concerned at the book burning that's basically happening with today's digital landscape against this information. We should be demanding more transparency, you know, not not less. Right. And, and you know, I'm, I'm like I said before, I'm, I'm pro vaccine. I'm a science guy. I got my degree in zoology. I have vaccinated my children. But uh, to fear information like that and to uh, censor information like that it, it indicates that there's something really wrong, because, uh, it, you know, if it's like anything else that uh, liberals do. If it's such a great idea, why has it got to be mandatory, you know? 
Exactly. And I just, one other point of hypocrisy, bringing it back to Oregon, um, you know, I think it was 2015, but some years prior, um, the Toxic Free Kids Act was passed saying children's items cannot contain these known toxins, right? They should not be exposed to this. Well, guess what is exempt from that, from that bill? Vaccines. There are some childhood vaccines that actually contain some of the same known toxins uh, that are that are outlawed for kids products with the Toxic Free Kids Act. So talk about hypocrisy there too. Why is it okay in some class of um, consumer products but not in others? Um, it, you know. So if I can jump in, this is really the problem with uh, with bureaucratic and legislative uh, uh, totalitarianism. They're the ones who pick the rules. For example, to name all of these potential toxins is one thing, good for science, cheer for science, praise science. And then to say, except for, and then specify or exempt specific product lines, not telling us whether those product lines uh, are safe and effective or not, but simply exempting them, wholesale exemptions for the entire product line of vaccines. And you have to ask the question, well, wait a minute. Why is it we've identified, we've used science, and then we allow a legislator, a bureaucrat, uh, somebody in the, uh, in the marbled halls to choose which products we're going to apply this uh, designation to? And that's the real problem. We even see it with the American, Metal, uh, American Medical Association. They are currently calling for more government power and constitutional limits for regulating health-related speech, particularly in the digital or internet realm. And when you see the American Medical Association falling on that side of the censorship model, all of a sudden you realize, wow, we are really heading down a dark, dark hole without realizing what's at the end. Yeah, that's really frightening stuff because, uh, it, it, I, again, I, I just go back to the idea that uh, this really is just a vehicle for expanding the power of the state over the individual. Uh, it, uh, the, the biggest thing for me about uh, House Bill 3063 was that it would remove the primary care physician from the, the uh, capability of giving an exemption to a, a required vaccine. So uh, it wouldn't be a choice between you and your doctor. It would be some bureaucrat at the Oregon Health Authority. And it, it really is very stark. Uh, and it's, it's, beyond, uh, it's beyond questioning that it's really to expand the power of the Oregon Health Authority. Very much so, and uh, and and they essentially become the the go to um, regulator. They become quote the authority. Yet when you say the word authority, you kind of have to stress it. Yeah. <laughs> the authority, and they're the guys in charge, and that means you have very little freedom because they're in charge. Right, and and where are they getting their information? Who who's giving them the information? Are they are they relying on the most up to date research? Are they relying on big pharma? Are they relying on doctors? Who? How do we even know? Because there's very little oversight when you talk about the Oregon Health Authority. There's not a heck of a lot of oversight with the legislature. That's correct. That's correct. And. Oh, sorry. I was just going to say one thing that I learned um, in, in the last you know, year of my 
you know, 15 years of research into this um, topic now since my own vaccine injury in, in college as a very healthy, you know, adult, it takes roughly 17 years from when we see new, you know, research, peer-reviewed research to hit into clinical practice. That's almost two decades. That's just wrong, right? So when you say, where do they get their data from? Well, the CDC is definitely one source, but is the CDC completely, you know, without confliction, right? We have a, a whistleblower, you know, senior scientist that would like to say that there's data that, that should be public, that isn't public, um, you know, and I think... What's also concerning is the fact that we, we have less than 1% of vaccine injury even being recorded. Why, why aren't they, if they're so concerned with children's health, why aren't they talking about mandating vaccine injury reporting, right? They, the CDC and HHS, Health and Human Services, commissioned um, you know, this Harvard Pilgrim study. People can look it up. And, and they came out and said, wow, less than 1% of vaccine injury is being recorded into the Vaccine Adverse Events Reporting System, which is VAERS, okay? They had a new system ready, ready to transition into um, to, to hopefully capture more vaccine injury data to look at, and the CDC ghosted them. They literally l lost contact, right? That was in 2011, I believe. And, you know, so we've had points where things could have improved, um, you know, and the 1986 law that Reagan signed, um, but he had his arm very much twisted and he was being politicized as someone who was going to harm children if he didn't sign this bill into law. So he tried to have um, support, you know, um, but it, it just it turned into this ultimate um, business opportunity for manufacturers. So, Amber, I think a lot of folks would be like like myself. I'm I'm not really up to speed on uh, uh, vaccine injury cases. So, uh, as much as you're comfortable, can you tell us a little bit about your own personal case and and um, how that how often that really occurs? Well, it's, it's much more common than people realize. And um, even, I believe, the VAERS data that we have for Oregon showed that there were four deaths in 2018. And if you can extrapolate out that we're only getting 1% of vaccine injury, you know, what does that mean? If we had 16 permanent disabilities for the small state of Oregon for what was reported, and that's just 1%, um, you know, my own vaccine injury um, I was a very healthy adult. I was actually, a, I played water polo like for my whole life. Um, and so great, great athletic abilities. And I was told in college I needed to get a set of boosters in order to keep playing, um, you know, this NCAA sport. And that was a policy. And I said, okay, no problem, right? Like you, I've, I've never questioned this area of medicine. I, I had a good relationship with my campus doctor rolled up my sleeve, or I should say two sleeves. I probably had two in one arm and two in the other. I had the hep A, the hepatitis A, the hepatitis B, and the MMR, which is mumps, measles, rubella, and then the DTAP, which is diphtheria, acellular um, pertussis, and tetanus. And I, my, within a couple weeks, my life went flipped upside down, and I went into total health crisis um, the day after swimming three miles in a row nonstop, literally not stopping in the pool, um, the next morning I couldn't breathe and I, I went into um, a complete asthmatic state. I've never had asthma my entire life, been very healthy. Uh, suddenly had early onset arthritis, skin disorders, you know, crazy lung issues, um, uh, pancreatitis. I mean, you name it. And, and it took me about a year and a half, two years before I finally got connected with the information. 
by reading the vaccine inserts because I tried to go and look at my own health history. What the heck happened to me? It wasn't until I studied the vaccine inserts from the manufacturers, which weren't made available to me prior, um, that I realized, wow, everything I'm reading about is listed as a possible adverse reaction. And now, now that I know about my own genetics and my family history, some of the shots that I got that day, I never should have even been offered, right? But I didn't even have that kind of counseling from the doctor because even the doctors don't typically know the possible adverse reactions. They're, they're, they're just trained to, you know, administer them, what the schedule is, you know, they're not mandated to report injury. So mine was never recorded. That's really troubling. Should the doctors be doing more reporting of the potential side effects or are they being pressured not to, or where's the breakdown? I mean, I think it's both. Um, I just talked with a mom today, actually, um, here in Oregon, and she's a fellow California refugee. Um, and she, her, her daughter actually had a couple different adverse reactions to different shots. And she followed up with the doctor and said, now you're going to report this, right? And, you know, she was basically said, well, it'll go into your daughter's medical records. And she said, well, isn't there a larger reporting system? Because she didn't know um, what it was called or, you know, that she maybe could have tried to file um, a report herself. Um, So that practice in that clinic never reported her daughter's injuries. Mine were never reported. And most most of the people I talked to with vaccine injury, um, theirs wasn't reported either. Like I said, less than 1%. Are getting reported, and I, I would love to try to get you a guest on your show who is a lawyer in the in the vaccine injury compensation program, this private court system that was set up under the eighty six law, who helped families for twenty five years and can talk in detail about what that process is like and and how hard it is actually, how high they have the burden of proof because you're you're actually as a family going up against the federal government to try to prove your case. It's a, it's a very difficult position to be in. Um, but even with that said, um, and even the fact that two of three claimants that even get to that point, um, you know, don't get any compensation, more than $4 billion of taxpayer money has been paid out since that went into effect under the 1986 law. Um, and there's a max, um, payout, even if you have a death in the family of 250,000, that's, that's it. That's all you get if your child dies and you even make it through this court system. And they've, they've paid out a billion and a half in 30 years. More than $4 billion. Oh, $4 billion. Wow. More That's... than $4 billion, yes. Wow. Okay. Um, yeah, I'd definitely like to have that person on my on the show to talk more about uh, the system and how corrupt it is. That that sounds crazy. Yeah, he. we did an article, again, um, you know, as a, as a publicist, I've, I've done my best to turn what's been my, my passion with activism into where I put some professional support too. And um, I believe his name is, is Robert Moxley. And he, he wrote a piece that uh, we got published in the American Conservative. And I will definitely send you that. Um, there's, there's a lot of important books and a lot of people who have had direct experience in various other areas of the industry right? It's not just doctors. There, there, there's a legal aspect. There's, um, you know, so many layers to this particular issue that just do not reach the mainstream news stories about it. Um, you know, in fact, like they try to pit parents against parents who make different choices when in reality, you know, where's the, my body, my choice. Is that really, 
is that really different for one a medical procedure over another? Um, I don't think so, right? It should be my body, my choice, because vaccines aren't safe and effective for every single human on this planet. And so you know, to mandate something is just wrong. Yeah, I'll, I'll just I'll play devil's advocate here for a second because um, uh, I, I've written occasionally for the Resurgent, the new website that uh, Eric Erickson started and um eric's wife uh he's he's mentioned he wrote an article about this uh is saying you know his wife has cancer and she's got an, a, a compromised immune system and so he's pretty adamant that everybody should uh, uh stop uh, uh protesting this and get their vaccinations because there are folks in walking around uh everywhere that uh may have compromised immune systems how do you respond to something like that well, I would say that there's a lot of information um, that, that we should dissect. I mean, that herd immunity could be an entire show, and I think that that would be a great opportunity. There's a lot of experts um, that can talk about that. There's a Harvard-trained immunologist um, living in Washington State, just north of us, um, who talks about you know what the threat level really is of an unvaccinated child, um, and if they are truly a threat. Um, you know, the, the one thing that doesn't get thrown into mainstream headlines with regard to herd immunity is the fact that we have some vaccines on the schedule that are live virus vaccines that can actually shed, right? So yes. even, even yeah. Oregon during the measles outbreak, you know, we went from 10 cases up to 11 and then quietly it went back to 10 because that 11th case um, was actually a vaccine reaction. So it was measles from the vaccine. So Chicken pox, shingles, MMR, um, there are live virus components to that. So if it's truly a concern, why aren't we saying, hey, you should be self-quarantined after receiving a live virus vaccine or be hyper aware of the fact that you can actually transmit virus um, after receiving that vaccine. So there's there's a lot of pieces to the puzzle that I think should be communicated. And, and I know Linth, um, Dennis Linthicum has some good uh, information about this as well. Well, one of the things I've been arguing for is um, testing these multiple vaccines in, in a, a much broader scale. Um, a double-blind, um, large population, uh, randomized test for these different vaccines has never occurred. Tests that have been done have been small population sizes, and, and we, we can argue that point at a different uh, segment, but what I want to stress is, in the same way Amber was injured by getting four uh, vaccines in different parts of her arms on as an adult, we're doing this to young children, and nobody has tested how does this vaccine MMR respond or react to that vaccine DTaP respond to that vaccine. Uh, hep A respond with the other vaccine, Hep B. And when all of those um, are invading the body um, at the same time and reacting to each other in that way, what does that look like in a test environment? And we don't have that. And, and, and that begs the question, well, if we're going to be doing this, why is this common practice? And the reason it's common practice is because these products are liability-free. There's no skin off of anybody's nose to do this because each of these vaccines that I mentioned in this example are liability-free, no harm, no foul. You could die on the table 
no sweat, nobody pays the price for it. And that's where we need, if we're going to believe in this corporate infrastructure that has America's best at heart, well, then we ought to just say, put your money where your mouth is and stand behind your products. That's what happened to Vioxx. Vioxx killed somewhere between more than 30,000, probably just under 60,000 people. And the total bill for the Vioxx uh, boondoggle coming out of Merck was right at $5 billion, $4.8 billion in, um, in uh, fines and restitution. And they still um, had revenue of $5.2 billion. So they made $400 million on a product and killed 30,000 people. There's something wrong with the math in this equation. And sorry, go ahead. ahead, (laughs) One one name that gets thrown around, and I would like to go, because in the Pacific Northwest, you know, we had measles cases, and that caused a lot of concern for people. Um, And elsewhere in the U.S., we've seen, you know, a lot of measles cases. Um, And going back to probably the number one name that gets thrown under the bus is Dr. Andrew Wakefield, right? He's the British doctor that was all over the news. And he was like, you know, this big, quote unquote, anti-vaxxer, right? And and telling parents to question vaccines when actually in reality, he's a gastroenterologist who had parents that he believed who said, hey, my child is having a gut issue, and he got the same story over and over, so he decided to do a story because after the MMR, these something happened in these children. Well, what's crazy is that the MMR, which I already told you earlier on the show about one, um, one issue with that, which is the there's a whistleblower who says they had data, you know, senior scientist at the CDC, but Merck, who made that, it just came out in a FOIA request um, just in May this year that the licensure data that they used to, to send it to market was very weak. It was a very small sample size. Um, and there was a very large number, percentage of children who had adverse events, particularly with gut health issues, major health issues, right? Wow. And Dr. Andrew Wakefield, what he did years ago, you know, when he his study came out and he was blasted all over the news, all he said is said, this was not an issue when we had the standalone measles vaccine. When we introduced the MMR, something happened in children with gut health, and we need to look at this in greater detail. He never said don't vaccinate. He said there wasn't an issue with the measles-only vaccine, right? And there would be countless parents right now in the U.S. who would say, sign me up. I will do the standalone measles vaccine. But something is going on with the MMR and the FOIA request that, you know, looked at the licensure data in May said, yes, you know, there, there are big issues there. And in addition to that, there actually there's another whistleblower lawsuit around that one vaccine product for Merck, right? The, the mumps component, the middle M of the MMR, the mumps component, they actually, the scientists who helped develop that vaccine are saying that they, they lied. They used rabbit antibodies to spike the level high enough to get it to pass. Um, and we are seeing probably, I don't know, t- at least 10,000 cases of mumps in the last few years in the U.S., but why you don't hear about mumps cases on the news? Because they don't want you to go digging and they don't want you to see that there's another whistleblower lawsuit against the MMR for the mumps component that they lied about the data for the MMR for the mumps. So there's just, there's a lot of issue there. And there's a lot of parents who are very, you know, interested in protecting their children, but see 
that profits, you know, are pushed ahead of, of the, the patients in this case. So, yeah. And that's where you get into the whole crony capitalist thing and the, the corporate welfare thing. And these, these crony deals between corporations and government to pass laws that uh, increase the bottom line. So that's, that's right. always, always the answer is follow the money. Right. So, um, okay. So uh, we got to wrap it up here. We are uh, beyond our half hour, but uh, uh, Senator Dennis Linthcomb, I want to uh, ask you one last question. Uh, what would you say to the uh, folks in the medical freedom movement that uh, you met with that are uh, uh, passionate about this issue and that have uh, really gotten activated in the political process because of this issue? Well, first of all, my the, the first thing that comes to mind is just thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. They came out by the thousands. I bet you we had um, three and 4,000 uh, people at the Capitol signing up to go and testify, to share their heart, to share their story, to share that they're real people with real concerns. And it's not, um, it, it's not just uh, the Russian bot issue that we referred to earlier. These are real people with real lives. And um, they will make an important impact as we move forward. I, uh, I guarantee these bills, these bad bills that we stopped by leaving town and walking out and denying quorum, these bills will be back again in the short session. So everybody has to stay queued up and stay ready to get back involved until we change the makeup of the legislative body and we get people who believe in the life of the individual and freedom and liberty until we change that um if you will, worldview construct that's uh, right now been tainted by totalitarian regime that currently is in office, we will face this over and over and over again. All right. Senator Dennis Linthicum, thank you. Uh, Amber Sims, real quick, where can uh, folks find out more information about the medical freedom movement in Oregon and uh, website, social, all of it? Uh, uh, Pimp it out. Oh, thank you so much. Well, every state does have a medical freedom grassroots movement happening. Um, you know, there are other states that were impacted this legislative season besides Oregon with bad bills introduced. Um, but Oregonians for Medical Freedom is one of the larger grassroots movements here in Oregon. Um, and I would say, you know, find your state uh, group and see how you can get involved if that's uh, volunteering in some way, if that's making a monthly contribution. Um, but really, it's also do your own research, get better versed so you can have more conversations with your neighbors and, and with your legislators. Um, it was really disheartening the fact that I had to share, you know, with my legislators, you know, in my meetings, private meetings with them, that I would have to go through private medical history and try to convince them why this bill was bad and why, you know, my family would be at risk and other families like mine. It was just, it was disheartening that this is my private medical information. Why should I have to, sh you know, share it with you to keep you from passing this, this bill that should never even be considered because it violates countless constitutional rights that I have. Right. And, and they didn't care even when you didn't share that private personal information. It, that's right. That's right. Yeah. All right. Well, Amber Sims and Senator Dennis Linthicum, thanks so much for being on the Behind the Curtain podcast. I really appreciate you coming on today. Thank you. It's always a pleasure. Thank you so much, Jeff.